Hey everyone, I hope you're doing well. We are continuing our series on the life of Jacob, and I hope this has been a blessing uh, to you all as we have looked at his life, and, and we've been asking the question, why does God at times bless ungodly people? Or more to the point, why does God uh, always bless ungodly people? Because the truth of the matter is, all of us are uh, unworthy of his grace and of his blessings. We are all undeserved, uh, deserving of uh, those gracious gifts that he so richly bestows on each and every one of us. And that's why we've been looking at the life of Jacob, because uh, through his life, as we look at the kind of person he is and how God had, has blessed him, we really see that it really intersects and illustrates how God interacts with each and every one of us. We all strive uh, for the blessings of God. We all strive to be uh, godly people, the people that God has called us to be, but we often fail in our attempts so often, and yet God still continues to bless us. And so I hope that this has been a, a, um, a beneficial uh, series for each and every one of y'all. Now, just as a recap, we saw in part one, we looked at the birth of Jacob and Esau, and we saw initially that they were constantly uh, fighting and feuding with one another. Jacob was grasping the heel of Esau when they were born. And it was just kind of foreshadowing the fact that uh, Jacob would constantly be a snare or a um, one who trips up his brother in pursuit of uh, blessings for himself. And then we saw in part two where uh, Esau really didn't seem to care much about his birthright being the firstborn or um, value the responsibility as well as the blessing of that. And we saw that in the fact that he was willing to sell his birthright to Jacob for just simply a bowl of stew. And we see there Esau not really valuing the birthright. We see Jacob constantly looking for opportunities uh, to step up, to move ahead, to claim those blessings and those uh, benefits for himself. And then we saw in verse 3, we looked at this, um, I'm sorry, at part three, this uh, idea of Scripture saying, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. And that's been a, a verse that's been uh, that's confused many, that has been applied in various ways. Uh, whether that's legitimate or not, again, go back and listen to that part, and, and, and hopefully that will shed some light on that. But what I want us to see in that part three is that God loves everyone, but he does not uh, move in the lives of everyone equally. Uh, some people he he blesses more than others, and I know that may make some uncomfortable, but again, that's just a, a part of life. No, no single individual, even people born in the same family as with Jacob and Esau, are blessed in the same way. That doesn't mean that God loves them less. It just means that God... Uh, acts and moves in their life in different ways. And so I'm not going to belabor that point uh, any further. Again, go back and, and listen to part three, and hopefully uh, that will shed some light on that. Uh, then part four, we looked at uh, Jacob stealing the blessing of Esau by tricking their father Isaac and just the family turmoil that that created with uh, within their family. And then Jacob had to leave because Esau was so upset that he vowed that he would kill Jacob as soon as Isaac had died. And so that's what we're going to pick up today. We're going to look at uh, Jacob meeting his uncle Laban as well as him meeting his um, his two wives, Rachel and Leah. And we're going to see kind of the, the, the turmoil that, that goes on uh, there um, in that particular family dynamic. And one of the things that we're going to see there it's a lot of the things that Jacob had done previous in, previously in his life is now coming back 
onto his head. And we're going to see that time and time again. I really think this is God's way of humbling Jacob. And he does the same thing in many of our lives as well. Before God can bless us, oftentimes he has to test us. And so we need to really make sure that um, we, we don't view those hardships in life, even the ones that we bring on ourselves, as necessarily a bad thing. But as a, God uses all those things in order to teach us and to refine us into the people that he wants us to be. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right into where we left off previously. And we're going to be in Genesis uh, chapter 29, uh, a little bit in, uh, in chapter 30 as well, but mostly in Genesis 29. And here we begin, Jacob has now left his homeland and he's now traveled to the region where uh, many of his other extended family member family members live. And uh, we pick up in verse 4, and it says this, Jacob said to them, uh, My brothers, and here he's talking to some shepherds that he's come across at this well. He says, My brothers, where are you from? And they said, We are from Haran. In verse 5, they say, uh, He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? Now, Nahor was the brother of Abraham, so Laban would have been Jacob's uncle. And they said, We know him. And then Jacob asked, is it well with him? And they said, It is well. And here is Rachel, his daughter, coming with the sheep. And he said, Behold, this is Jacob talking, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered. What are the sheep? And go, pasture them. And I just find it interesting and kind of amusing here. Uh, we see that Jacob has been traveling. He comes across this well. There's some shepherds there that are waiting with their flocks. They're not necessarily watering their flocks yet. Uh, they're waiting for all the flocks um, of the sheep in that region to come together in order to water them. And Jacob comes across he, uh, comes across them and he begins asking them whether that whether or not they know Laban. And they say they do. He says that he's doing fine. And then they point to Rachel coming up and... It, the text seems to imply that Jacob looks out in the distance. He sees Rachel, and he's kind of smitten. Uh, he, he falls kind of in love with her. Uh, she she must have been um, quite beautiful. And it, it says immediately in verse 7 uh, that he says, Hey, listen, it's really not time uh, for y'all to be watering the sheep right now. Y'all just go ahead, go back out into the pasture, and, uh, and, and y'all can come back at another time. Evidently, and many commentators uh, agree with this, it seems like Jacob is trying to get these guys away so he can have some alone time uh, with Rachel. Again, uh, many um, uh, many of us can look at this and just see the um, uh, just the classic love story that is often talked about with Jacob and Rachel uh, going on here, even at the very outset of this chapter. And it says that in verse uh, 9, it says, While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, uh, for she was a shepherdess. And when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his, mother, uh, his mother's brother, Jacob went up, rolled the stone from the mouth of the well, and watered the flock of Laban, his uh, mother's brother. Now, pause here for just a second. There's a, a number of things that are interesting to note here. First of all, Yes, uh, Jacob falls in love with Rachel. She's beautiful. But I find it also interesting that he also sees her sheep. Uh, and, and this is typical Jacob behavior. Yes, he's in love with Rachel. And that, that's seen through and through uh, in this account. But he's also very much uh, a businessman. He's very much opportunistic. 
And he not only sees a beautiful woman, but he also sees a beautiful woman from a wealthy family. And so he wants to impress her. And it's, again, uh, just that youthful vigor of Jacob. He runs over to the well that has this large stone uh, that's covering it, covering it maybe because they don't want sand to get in there, covering it because they don't want the water uh, to dry up, whatever it may be. He, rolls, uh, he runs over there and to uh, maybe impress Rachel, he rolls it away by himself and begins watering uh, all the sheep. Another thing that's interesting in here is you see time and time again, it's, um, it's repeated, um, Laban, his mother's brother, his mother's brother, his mother's brother. Um, again, it, just reiterating over and over and over again this um, family connection between um, Jacob and Laban. And that's important for a number of reasons. Um, one of which is it's pointing us back to the fact uh, that uh, Rebecca, Isaac's wife, came from uh, the same family. This is the family uh, where Isaac, uh, Jacob's father, found his wife. And so that is why they sent Jacob there as well. And it's also pointing to the fact that uh, this was uh, what Abraham wanted for Isaac to not marry uh, the women from Canaan, but to go back to their ancestral homeland to find a wife for Isaac. That's what Isaac's now wanting for Jacob. We see that that's not what Esau did. If you go back the next chapter, Esau uh, married uh, amongst some of the... Um, some of the women there in Canaan, and that was uh, not supposed to be the case. Uh, and it ends up kind of being a hardship for him. And so, again, it's just pointing all these things back to these promises that have gone from Abraham to Isaac and now to Jacob, and it will, it will continue on uh, in the family. And then it goes on and says, in verse 11, Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and that he was Rebekah's son. And then she ran and told her father. And so uh, she welcomes Jacob into the family. She, uh, she goes back and tells her father Laban who she has found. And Laban greets him, welcomes him into, into the home. Uh, and... and uh, they they stay there for about a month is um, what the text will tell us in just a little bit. But what I want us to see next, now that Jacob and uh, Rachel have met, now there's going to be this dynamic between Jacob and Laban. This is going to get played out through the next couple of chapters. I want you to notice what it says in verse 15. It says, uh, Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my relative, um, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now, for most of uh, um, my life, hearing these passages taught and preached, uh, this sounded pretty um, sh pretty straightforward, pretty nice of Laban. He says, hey, you're living in, uh, with me. I'm going to pay you as you're living here and working here. Uh, what do you think your wages should be? But in fact, if you take a, a close look at the text, verse 14, he addresses uh, Jacob as family. He says, uh, this is before uh, that verse 15 there in verse 14, it says, Laban said to him, Surely you are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Uh, and he stayed with him for a month. And there basically Laban is saying, Hey, you're family. And family, what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. Uh, we're going to come here. We're going to live together. And, you know, in this, in this culture, uh, you didn't have to pay family. Family worked for family, and so there were no wages. There was more of an inheritance, um, but you took care of family. You didn't have to pay family because family shared uh, of all that uh, you owned. And yet here we see in verse 15, uh, a month later, uh, Laban is now kind of changing the relational dynamic. Instead of treating Jacob like family, he treats him like a servant. He says. Uh, 
because you're my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. And so what we see here is then Jacob and Laban began to haggle uh, over prices. And what Jacob really wants is he wants to marry Rachel. And Laban agrees to this and says, if you work seven years, uh, then you can uh, marry Rachel. In fact, we re read in verse 16, it says, Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was uh, Leah. Leah, that name means weak, and it's just because of her eyes. As we're going to see in a little bit, she had paler kind of complexion of eyes, which um, in their culture was seen as kind of a blemish. And so she was not, in essence, as pretty in their culture as Rachel was. And it says the name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and face. Now Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than to give her to another man, so stay with me. So Jacob served for seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. And again, everyone just loves that verse 20, that he served seven years, and it seemed like just a few days because of how much he loved Rachel. And it seems like this is just a wonderful love story, but that's not actually the case. What actually ends up happening is Laban holds this grand feast at the end of the seven years. He holds this week-long feast, and everyone's drinking, probably most likely getting drunk. And then uh, towards the end of that feast, that's when the, the marriage happens. And it's not really a... Um, a ceremony in the way that we think of it. It's more of a, a business deal in many ways. And towards the end, uh, uh, the bride is presented to the groom. Uh, she's veiled. He's probably a little bit inebriated from all the week-long festivities. It's getting uh, darker because it's night. So they go in, they consummate a marriage, and then we pick up in verse 25 where it says this, and so it came about in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And so uh, Laban had tricked uh, Jacob out of marrying Rachel and said he gave him Leah, the not, not as pretty, um, according to their culture, bride. And, and then it says, he said to Laban, this is Jacob talking, what is this that you've done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served with you? Why have you deceived me? But Laban said, it is not uh, the practice in our place to marry off the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one talking about um, this festival of marrying her, uh, complete this wedding festival, and it says, and I will give you the other also for the service which you shall serve me for another seven years. So Jacob did so and completed her week, talking about Leah. He ended up, he finished out the marriage week with Leah, and then he, talking about Laban, gave his daughter Rachel as his wife. And so I often thought that uh, Jacob served another seven years before he could ever be with Rachel, but that's not really what the text says. Um, imagine this situation. Uh, right after the wedding, the wedding week of Leah, right after their honeymoon, then Jacob then marries her younger sister, and he obviously is showing favor towards her. Now imagine the the animosity and the division that this would cause within the family. Your your new husband now uh, is disappointed that he's married you, and the very next week after your wedding, he marries your younger sister and is obviously favoring her. And so we see at the very outset there is just constant deception and and infighting within this family. And it says in verse 29, Laban also gave his maid Bela to the daughter to his daughter Rachel as her maid. So Jacob went uh, into Rachel also, and she indeed 
he indeed loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban another seven years. And so just this horrible situation has now unfolded. And what we're going to see is the deception and the disunity and the family drama that Jacob brought into his family is now going to be poured out onto him through this relational uh, infighting between Leah and Rachel. And what we see is Ra uh, I'm sorry, Leah, who is not the one who is loved, uh, is the one who is blessed by God. Even though um, Jacob doesn't love her, God shows favor towards her, and she bears, at least at the outset, four sons. At first, she uh, gives birth to Reuben, the firstborn, and his name means, Behold, a son. And it's really sad when you read the names of uh, these sons and you read uh, why she named him, uh, named these sons these names, you really kind of get a glimpse into what her relationship with the, was like with Jacob. Reuben is named Behold a Son, and it says in verse, um, I believe it's 32, it says, Because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. So basically she names Reuben Behold a Son because she's thinking, Well, look, finally I've given Jacob the greatest gift anyone can give him. I've given him a son, so maybe God has now seen my affliction, seen my hardship, that my husband doesn't love me, he loves my younger sister. And surely now, because I've given Jacob a son, he will love me. But that doesn't happen. And so then she bears another son called Simeon, which means heard. And we we're told in verse 33, it says, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. So Jacob still didn't love her after Reuben. Uh, she gives birth to Simeon. And she still feels completely slighted and unloved by Jacob. And then uh, next, she gives birth to Levi, uh, which means to be joined. And in verse 34, it sa uh, she says, Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Again, three is a very uh, important number in Scripture. Three uh, usually signifies um, completeness is uh, we we see it as Christians as a, a, a the number of the Trinity. It, it's a really important number. And she says, "Look, I've borne him three sons. Surely now he'll be joined to me. He'll come and he'll dwell with me." And uh, again, just to kind of understand their culture, uh, these two wives probably most likely had their own tents where they lived with their own servants and and uh, their their children. Rachel didn't have any children yet, uh, but. Jacob would go to them uh, uh, at various times, and uh, Leah is wanting Jacob to, to be with her, to stay with her, to make uh, her tent his tent. Uh, and you know, hopefully now, after three sons, he'll come and he'll be joined to me. He'll, he'll feel attached to me, a part of me, but he doesn't. And then she uh, gives birth to Judah, the fourth son, and it means to be praised. And I find it really interesting. The description here has nothing to do with Jacob. It's, in, it's almost as though Leah has gotten her eyes now off of Jacob. She's finally decided, you know what, he's not going to love me. And so instead of pining for him, in verse 35 it says that she named Judah uh, this name because it says, this time I will praise the Lord, his name meaning praised. And so it seems as though she's now more turning her focus on uh, to God. Well, uh, if that wasn't enough, we see that Le uh, Leah is having all the children. Rachel, who is the favorite wife, is having no children, which was a big stigma during that time. And we pick up in chapter 30, and it says this, Now Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, and she became jealous of her sister, Leah. And she said to Jacob, Give me children, or else I die. And again, we don't really understand just how much of a stigma this was, but uh, 
childbirth was one of the, if not the most important thing uh, that a wife could do for her husband. And it was also, uh, in many ways, uh, insurance and it was a retirement for later on in life that the children would then take care of uh, the parents. And so by Rachel not giving birth to a child was a huge stigma. In fact, in some cases, uh, the family would not see the, the marriage as quite consummated or legitimate until a male heir was born. In fact, we'll see later on in, in this passage, and we'll probably get into it next week, but Jacob and Rachel, they, they don't leave. They really can't leave Laban until Rachel gives birth to a son, um, and we'll talk more about that next week. And so she's basically begging Jacob for a son. Jacob basically says, listen, that's not in my control. That's something God takes care of. And so Rachel, in order to um, begin competing with her sister Leah, she decides, okay, well, if I can't bear a child, then I'll give Jacob my maid, uh, Bilhio, and uh, she will give birth to a son for Jacob on my behalf. And so uh, Jacob, instead of um, rejecting this idea, he goes along with it. And through uh, Rachel's servant, he gives, uh, she gives birth to Dan and Nephitali. And we see that, listen to the, the wording here, uh, with Rachel as she um, reflects on these two children now born to Jacob by her servant for on Rachel's behalf. This is what she says. So Rachel said in verse 8, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister, and I indeed have prevailed. Now notice the bitterness there, this sibling rivalry of these two sisters, and they're competing with who can have the most children. And so Rachel feels like I'm now prevailing against my sister. Even though she has four children, I've born two through my maid, I am prevailing because I've, I've figured out a way. I've tricked uh, I've, I've gamed the system, and I, I know what I'm doing, and I am now the blessed one. I'm the favored one. And so then Leah, seeing what's going on, and Leah is now getting older. She can no longer have children. She decides, well, if Rachel is going to give uh, Jacob her servant, I'll give Jacob my servant, uh, Zilpah, and then I can continue to have more children for Jacob through my servant. And so it says in verse 9 of chapter 30, it says, Then Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, and she took her maid, Zilpah, and gave uh, her to Jacob as a wife. And Jacob again says, sure, why not? And then he, uh, she gives birth to Gad and Asher. And again, it's just this complete... Um, tangled mess of a family life that is now uh, uh, taking place here that is outside of God's will, and yet God is still blessing. Now, here's a really interesting take, and if anyone ever tells you that Scripture is boring, they have not obviously read Scripture, uh, because uh, there are some just in incredibly interesting and intriguing passages of Scripture, and this is one that we see in Genesis, Genesis 30. We see that uh, it says in verse 14, Now in the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben, again, Reuben's the firstborn. He's probably, most scholars think, about maybe five years old. He went out and found some mandrakes in the field. Uh, mandrakes are this, uh, this fruit uh, that <clears throat> had supernatural um, superstitions around it, uh, that it was an aphrodisiac, that it could help with infertility and things like that. And so he brings it back to Leah, his mother. And then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Remember, Rachel has not had any children herself. She gave her maidservant. So Rachel sees that Leah has these mandrakes, these, uh, this fruit that seems uh, that is alleged to uh, be an aphrodisiac, to, to help with infertility. Uh, but Leah uh, said to her, is it a small matter for 
for you to take my husband? Would you now also take my son's mandrakes also? And so Rachel said, therefore, he may lie with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. Notice, notice here these two sisters are haggling and bargaining. And basically, Rachel is selling out Jacob uh, for some mandrakes and, and the 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 actual literal word is love apples in Hebrew. And so I'll give you my love apples and you can take Jacob for the night. Just give me these things that may help with my infertility. And it says in verse 16, when Jacob came in from the field that evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come in to me. You must stand, basically stay in my tent uh, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. Just I, it's hard to even begin to wrap your mind around how dysfunctional this is that basically um, uh, Leah and Rachel are prostituting Jacob for these mandrakes, these love apples, and Jacob's just passively going along with it. And through this, uh, it, um, Ish, Ishkar and Zebulun are, are born uh, through this encounter. And then uh, the text seems to imply uh, that Rachel... Um, uh, God blesses her after all this, and whether it was because of the mandrakes or not, uh, she gives birth to Joseph. And we'll learn all about Joseph later on in other chapters, uh, but this is where um, uh, the, the sons of Jacob come from. And again, you, know, you have jo uh, Joseph is born here, and then Benjamin comes later from Rachel, and there you have the, the 12 tribes of Israel that we'll see later. Now, I want to pause here for just a little bit. There is a whole lot that we've covered here in just these few verses, and there is a lot of drama that we've had to skip over. I encourage you, if you get the time, read chapter 29, chapter 30. There are some incredible things that go on in the life of Jacob uh, and his wives. But I just want to pause because in our remaining time, I want to uh, look at at least three things that I believe are important for us to, to take away from this passage. The first thing and we've talked about this quite a bit throughout our series, is that God blesses imperfect people. Jacob is by far an imperfect person. He is a scoundrel. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's a trickster. And yet God continues to bless him. We see uh, that that's the case throughout Scripture. All the people throughout Scripture are imperfect people, and yet God blesses them time and time again. And I thank God for that because I'm an imperfect person. We all need the grace of God. We all need... Uh, uh, to remember that God loves imperfect people. So often we can fall short and we can get away from the will of God and then we beat ourselves up or feel like God surely can't love someone like me. And that's exactly who God loves. He loves imperfect people. And we see that clearly in the life of Jacob. And we also see that God often uses our sinful choices to teach and to discipline us. We, say, well, we saw early on that Jacob time and time again uh, was taken advantage of his brother Esau. He was lying to his father. He was tricking Esau out of his blessing. And, and we see now that as Jacob is now trying to uh, start up a family, we see that Laban is tricking Jacob out of his wife and making him marry uh, Leah first. And then we're going to see uh, later on next week, we're going to look more at this uh, Jacob-Laban uh, dynamic going on. But Laban is constantly um, frustrating Jacob and Jacob is fi uh, constantly fighting back with Laban. And it's basically, I believe, a way of God breaking down and humbling Jacob to where he can finally experience the blessings of God. And it all culminates, really, uh, with Jacob wrestling God. We'll talk about that. And then him encountering Esau and wondering whether or not Esau is going to kill him. But it all comes back to 
God is teaching and breaking down Jacob so that he can later become Israel, uh, a man who God can bless and bless the rest of the world through. And then thirdly, what I want us to see is that um, when we seek God's blessings in our way, it always hurts us. It always hurts us. God wanted to bless Jacob, but not in the way that Jacob went about it. He did not want Jacob to be practicing polygamy. He didn't want Jacob to have multiple wives. He didn't want Jacob to be a trickster and a liar and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and as Jacob continued to do those things, it just caused more problems for Jacob. But when we stop trying to get God's blessings our way, and allow God and his timing to bring blessings into our life, things work out so much better, and God gets all the glory for it. So we're going to close things out uh, this week uh, with that note. I hope that you'll think on these truths and, and that God will bless you through them. I hope you'll join us up back again next week as we continue to look at the life of Jacob, and we're going to see this family clash of titans between Jacob and Laban, and hopefully uh, see more of God's amazing truths and how to apply them to our life. Until then, I hope you take care, and God bless